0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to This Much I Know, the Seedcamp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who've built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically and learned massively. Today, I have a friend, an LP and also one of the key people in the startup scene in Europe, Alex McPherson, Managing Director at Octopus Ventures. Thanks uh, for joining us, Alex. Absolute pleasure, Carlos. Thanks. So you have a very interesting background because you skipped school altogether. I usually like to ask that question as a start, but from what you were telling me, you skipped it entirely, a la Mark Zuckerberg, and uh, went to selling uh, computers straight up. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, well, it was some time ago now.
0: Um, The reality of it was I I came out of um,
1: high school and had an opportunity to go and sell computers in a local store. And at that time, it was the... It, actually, the, uh, the Macintosh wasn't even out. It was, you know, IBM computers, and then down into the gaming computers, like the, the Commodore 64, this Sinclair Spectrum that people may um, cast their minds back to. Um, and that taught me a certain amount in terms of you know, sales, um, you know, what, how people look at things. Um, and it was an exciting time, because computers were entirely new, and uh, there was a, a slight you know, question of what were they gonna be useful. And mm. uh, at that time, it was really you know, kind of gaming, and at uh, the other end,
0: from small business point of view, it was spreadsheets and word processing, and that's kind of it. I mean, it, it. It's funny that you were mentioning that it was not necessarily clear how they were gonna be so part of our lives. And in many ways, a lot of the companies that you're looking to invest in today are perhaps at that stage. Have you seen that pattern repeat over and over and over again? And what lessons did you learn from the selling of a new product that has yet to showcase its true value in, 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 in the companies you invest in today? Well, I think it comes back to that,
1: that point of you know, penetration and acceptance by markets. And you know, we're, we're big fans of you know, crossing the, the chasm um, with uh, Jeffrey Moore. Um, so you can always have your early adopters. Well, actually, you know, that, 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 that may give you a reasonable you know, percentage of market share, um, but you're not really gone into the main market yet. So always thinking is actually how, how is this going to be accepted by uh, the, 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 the main market
0: and uh, receive that worldwide adoption? That's what you're going to be thinking about. So maybe what we can do is explore that idea Mm. across some of the other companies you work with, because I think that's where a lot of companies really get stuck. It's how do you actually take that early adopter market and move it into the larger one? But um, before we go there, let's uh, jump into what you did first. After you left selling computers, you went to work in the city, from what I understand. Absolutely. So
1: I I was looking at the, the, the bright lights of London and thinking, what could I do there? And I applied for... Uh, various jobs, and I, would, I was fortunate enough actually that I'd, at one point in time I'd worked in a circus uh, which was on my CV. So uh, I got lots of interviews, um, which was great. It was something that differentiated me, and actually, it's something that I've always, you know, have people bear in mind is what differentiates something on their CV. Um, and I took a job in mainline city with what was at the time a, a jobbing firm. Um, it was at the time. Pre Big Bang in, the, in 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 London, and uh, th- those businesses, the jobbing firm, the stockbroker, and the bank, all then came together at Big Bang. But I started my days in, as a market maker in the traded options market, uh, which evolved over time into equity derivatives. Uh, I'd done maths at, uh, at school, and had um, uh, that that enabled me to make that transition as we move from. Really, back at the envelope to uh, computer models uh, that was became prevalent in the mid
0: '90s. So you were there for eleven years, and during that time, you know, you probably saw all sorts of crazy things, highs and lows. Maybe you share what are the stories there that have shaped the way that you think about investing in companies today? I think the the biggest thing I t- I take from those days
1: is. When when to continue to follow an investment, and similarly, actually, when do you call halt on investment? Um, the 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 message you know as a, as a trader, and let's be realistic about it, the timeframes are very much shorter. Is um, the, the 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 common phrase was the the first cut is the cheapest, and that was saying, okay, right, I've I've got this wrong, I'm going to sell out of my position and I'm going to walk away from it. Now, clearly, you don't do that in the venture space. But what you can do is say, actually, this isn't going according to plan. Actually, the the business needs to find a route around it. And are we as investors prepared to continue to back that business when we can see that it's well off track? Um, Similarly, when things are going well, is, frankly, not to sell out too early and i think there remains this problem with european venture capital that we and we are guilty of it we hold our hands up to that are only too prepared to sell out at the $100, $200, 300 three hundred million dollar sort of range to big american acquirers when you can create really really big businesses and that's the opportunity that exists in europe is that opportunity to build Sizable big global
0: businesses. So, on that point of selling early, you know, although one could argue that the European investor might sell too early rather than having companies go the distance, an alternative. Argument would be that there aren't enough opportunities for secondary sales or early exits for European investments, and hence why European investment sometimes is criticized of not having the same returns as U.S. investments. How how can you balance that? And 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 is there is there a way to engineer more of sort of profitable or large secondary sales? I and I think this is it. Is all boils
1: down to a balance actually, and it's the the developing entrepreneurial ecosystem that we have in in Europe that is actually quite exciting. So if you look at uh, it it is unreasonable to expect founders to start a business, develop it, develop it through Series A, Series B, and not be able to see some financial reward. Again, this is our opinion, not see financial reward as they hit those milestones. So we're a big fan of enabling the entrepreneurs to take some money off the table as they hit the next milestone, um, when they're when they're delivering on you know the business plan of what they're doing, and we've done that time and time again. Uh, I think of um, Alex Chesman at Zupla; he took money off. During the growth, similarly at the IPO, um, and 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 again afterwards, um, with you know our other businesses, um, Secret Escapes, again you know it's common knowledge there was the secondaries that were done uh, during that process. So you want your entrepreneurs to be aligned with you. So it's how do you get everybody sat around the the same side of the table, looking to go and develop and build a really really big business because. If you're not aligned with the entrepreneur, mm. then clearly they'll turn around and say, actually, you know, by selling now, I, I can see what this means to me and it's life-changing. Rather than saying, actually, I could take some off, I can, you know, go home to the husband or the wife and say, This is why I'm doing this. This is, you know, thank you very much. We paid off the mortgage, let's, you know, have some time. But I'm gonna go and build a really big business because that's actually what you know, my heart's desire says. So how do you facilitate that? And I think Europe's getting better at it. I think there's a number of houses that do this now. We happen to be one of them. Um, so are you like saying, of
0: it. when you're saying you're one of them, does that mean that not only do you enable it to be possible for a founder as well as other investors to be able to participate in the secondary, but if you are the entity that is investing in the company as a follow on, do you also provide a portion of the investment that you're giving to enable earlier investors and the founders to exit some. Correct. Well, oh, that's excellent. So, so both, and we can point to numerous
1: examples of that.
0: Excellent. Um, well, on the topic of building companies, uh, it would seem that right after you went into uh, the city, you left to go start your own company, Yeah, the Catalyst. Uh, maybe you can walk us through a little bit of that journey of, of going from being in the city for 11 years to starting your own company and, and in effect, what later will become the Octopus Ventures we all know.
1: I, I I was doing a job which I, I knew I looked at my boss and I sort of thought hey, i don't I don't want his job actually and uh, that that was a bit of a light bulb moment to me and then I had the opportunity to you know to come out of the city uh, the, the mistake I guess was that I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do um, and so it took a a period of adjustment to sort of... Really work out what it was, and and I saw the the burgeoning sort of internet boom, and I uh, thought, hey, that um, you know that venture capital art looks like um, fun, um, but of course I didn't have the relevant skill sets in order to to get a job in the field, um, so I looked at the angel marketplace, or more accurately, as somebody said, why don't you look at the angel marketplace? And I, I sort of observed there that most of the Angel networks acted on behalf of the company and few acted on behalf of the investor. And to me, that was a bit of an anathema because the relationship kind of ended once the investment w- w- was made. Whereas if you act on behalf of the investor, there's a continuing relationship. And also, there's a way in which, as individuals, as really angel investors, um, I and my colleagues, and then the wider group, were able to build a portfolio of investments without, frankly, sinking all our eggs into one basket. And by having the breadth of you know knowledge that existed there, you could bring different skill sets into that group. So, with my city background, I happen to have a bit of you know financial and modeling uh, experience. Uh, but I, 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 did I really understand true sales and route to market? No. Did I understand the true operations? Could I you know, dig deep on the tech? I had a little bit of technical knowledge, but not a huge amount. So bringing that collective wisdom to bear to the assessment and selection of businesses seemed like a good idea. And that's when we founded Catalyst,
0: um, which you know, went on. We made a series of investments. Those investments, from from what I understood, were about 10, 10, 12 companies. Walk us through how you decided to to back those companies, considering that, to some extent, it sounds like Catalyst was more general. And what were the attributes that you found interesting about them and, and maybe some of the early successes? Uh, I'd love to say that we
1: focused down on onto the people and the entrepreneur um, initially. I think we got beguiled at various points in time with... The opportunity, and then not, and almost that vision piece rather than thinking about the the execution piece. And uh, so there were, uh, there were there were there some business, We were we were fortunate enough to invest in a uh, one of our first businesses, a EquatorNet, a which was an online travel business for mm. um, uh, business users and. An acquirer came in very quickly um, for that, and we saw that, but that was you know, towards the, the back end of the, the, the dot-com boom. Um, and over the next few years, we made a series of investments, and the reality is, is that venture doesn't happen quickly. You have to build that. Uh, you were talking about some of the business we invested in. We were fortunate to uh, have met up with uh, William Reeve and Alex Chesterman, who founded, and actually William brought us a series of different DVDs um, online and you know, delivered through the post uh, mm. models and the first couple we said no to and then he brought us a business called Screen Select uh, with Alex and we invested in that business alongside other angels um, and that was the one of the precursors to the Love Film. They then mer- merged with Video Island and came together with uh, Love Film and I would say, actually, that's a great demonstration of, yes, the vision, but also the individuals who are there who are
0: able to go out and execute and William and Alex absolutely did that. Mm. If we pick on William and Alex for a little bit, and for those of you that are not familiar with, with uh, William and Alex, I mean, they're very successful uh, entrepreneurs, they're also investors now and they're they're another keystone of, of the ecosystem here in London and uh, in Europe. And one of the things that's interesting when you look at people now in their their developed state, if you will, um, one of the things that comes across is, you know, how they approach problems, how they approach building companies. But you met them, obviously, earlier in the, in the narrative and curious to see whether you've seen a transformation and what were the key inflection points of the transformation of, of founders? And what points do you see like you can you can really point your finger to like this is where this person really cut their teeth, so to speak? I I think with um, both William and Alex was that
1: that process, and there were a a series of businesses in that space when they were doing Screen Select, and the recognition that there was going to be consolidation, and they wanted to be um, at the heart of it. Uh, I think we also saw at that point in time, you know, a learning with regards to you know doing deals. which somebody like Alex Chessman carried through into, you know, forming Zoopla uh, with absolute brilliance. Um, and, and and I think the other learnings we sort of took from them is they, they were happy to go out and talk to everybody um, about what they were doing. The, the reality, you know, they took the view, and rightly in my opinion, that anybody can find out about your business, actually. They can get the information. Um, the question is: Is what information can you get about them and draw that out? And so they'd have the conversations, they'd build the relationships, they'd be seen as you know cutting edge and driving things forward. Which meant when those conversations about you know mergers you know came about, um, they were front and form- foremost in people's minds. Um, so from that aspect, I think it was also, as I mentioned, that combination of vision and execution that they did well. They they each knew what they did well Mm. and they looked for the compliments and they also understood what they didn't
0: personally do well and so needed to fill those gaps. Mm. And now having seen that cycle from like Mm. the very early days to now where they are and seeing that maturation, can you spot it in founders that you're meeting today that are early stage founders? Is that something that you have now honed down to the point where it's spotable or is it really more of a sort of relational thing where you you would probably spot it a year after working with the founder, even though it has yet to, to materialize into an exit?
1: I mean, it'd be wonderful to say, yes, you can spot it. I, I was hoping I, you'd I th- have the answer. I think that is, um, uh, uh, I, 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 it, you know, we... We hope we see that you know a series of the attributes in individuals mm. about how they can go out and, mm. and do it, um, but the reality is the line between success and failure of building a big business is wafer thin, um, and fortune, good fortune, can play a part at certain points in time. Um, but also recognising that you know, there's that opportunity and grasping that opportunity um, is absolutely critical. So trying to find those types of uh, individuals, uh, for us at Octopus, it's all about the people, it's all about the relationships. So very much people first, the entrepreneurs, mm. the people they bring around them. Mm. If you've got talent magnets, going to have great people there you're increasing your probability of success so that's what we look for within those individuals you want to be associated Mm. um with those individuals and in their next you know journey or whatever that may 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 be um you know we've been really fortunate to have backed those guys very early because out of the Love Film management team and you know Love Film was sold to to Amazon but I think we're on our eighth business from introductions as a result of those relationships um if I take um uh you know the relationship with you know William you know who worked with Graham Bosher at Love Film Graham then founded uh Graze.com the snack food uh, business and They came to us, we invested in Grays, that developed, things were going well, um, and so we invested again, developed further. And then, coming to your point about um, providing cash into the system, actually, Graham was sort of saying, look, I I want to come out, um, I want a realisation. At that point, private equity came in, in the the form of Carlisle, Mm. and they were... Graham to step away to being a non-exec, and mm-hmm. Anthony Fletcher has taken on led the, the business brilliantly since then. Um, but Graham's gone and done his next business, and we invested in that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that sort of the relationships are absolutely key. Yeah. Um, so, you know to us, and that's that's what you know that's what we look for. Um, is how can we have long-term relationships with? You know people who have that
0: both vision and the ability to go and execute and can attract that talent around them So if we go back to that idea that we were talking about when you were selling computers Mm -hmm. About how to get sort of a more maybe late majority to be interested in the product During your period as catalyst, you know, where you invested in companies uh, that eventually got acquired by Amazon in the case of, of screen select, but you know some of the other companies like Skills Market and and the baby food company. How did you how did you help them with that sort of crossing the chasm uh, moment, or how did you help them sort of navigate the, the the distribution channels that would enable them to do that and thinking through that just to get a feeling for what the sort the, the the highs and lows of that have been across the portfolio the Catalyst portfolio.
1: So. You, you, Again, we were we were fortunate because it, yeah, actually, by having this wider group, and by sort of you know two thousand and five, that group had grown to about a hundred individuals, all of whom were business people or entrepreneurs who had kind of been there and done that. It was like we have this access to resource that we can we can draw on, um, and. So, so if the, if a business was, you know, and one of the two biggest challenges that you know we, we we see for early stage businesses, you know, route to market and sales um, being one of those, and how, how do I grow my sales, you know, initially, and the second point is how do I grow my my talent and how do I grow my team and acquire, retain, and manage that to that that talent, and if you can bring people to the party who have been there and done it. It doesn't mean you slavishly follow what they say, but you take bits from all of them to form your own plan in this particular economic environment, this particular sector, um, in order to get into that market. Um, And at times, you know, let's also be realistic. We are venture capital investors. Uh, You mentioned the skills market. Team tried really, really hard there. It didn't work. There was something, you know, there was a a business called, you know, LinkedIn, which actually has become, you know, almost the recruitment model that uh, a skills market was looking to do. Um, We weren't able to get that uh, developed and through. Something like Plum Baby, it was how do we get that into the supermarkets? Plum Baby, sorry, was a baby food business. And how do you get it into store? Uh, How do you get it uh, listed through? you know waitrose tesco sainsbury's and we were fortunate in our you know investor group um we had people from those particular uh stores here and it's that i know a man who can and you can help you don't all you can do is help the entrepreneur you can only uh, enable them to go and have the conversations they've got to deliver Mm. but if that's the case then they move on establish and move on to the next stage, who else can you bring to the party that they can utilize and uh,
0: move forward with? Excellent. Well, in 2007 you transitioned from uh, the, the Catalyst operating as a separate entity to then being part of the Octopus Group and then eventually becoming Octopus Ventures. Walk us through the, the, the reasoning behind that. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun as an independent party within Catalyst but it also sounds like you're doing even better today. From what I understand, when you joined Octopus, it was about 20 million or so under management. And today you're doing over 850 million under management. So walk us through that journey. Yeah, the the,
1: the, the old Catalyst model was, uh, we kind of walked in each year with zero. Um, so in terms of Uh, The business model wasn't, if I'm honest about it, wasn't a great business model. And we we looked at the funds under management business model and thought, uh, that that looks great. Um, But at the time, did we have enough of a track record in order to raise funds? You have to remember at the time, European venture um, didn't really go uh, in a sentence together. So we started looking for partners um, who could help us add funds under management. And we were introduced, again comes back to these relationships, to um, the CEO of Octopus, you know, Simon Rogerson, And they were looking for an early stage team um, to to manage funds on their behalf that they would go out and raise, but you know, we would then manage. And I remember having uh, dinner with a friend and sort of talking about the um, the acquisition as it was going to be Octopus Board of Majority Stake. And, how they were going to bring the funds under management and we were bringing the early stage team and he sort of said look, you know, Alex, this sounds like a bit of a, a win-win situation and in the city there was never a win-win situation mm. and I sort of said look, yeah I'm kind of desperately looking around for where's the catch and still, whatever we are, nine years later now I'm still trying to work out where the catch is because we raised our first fund, uh, or the, the, the into the into the listed fund that we have, in 2008, and we've continued to grow that fund um, over the years. Uh, and we've been fortunate to work with and back some exceptional entrepreneurs, um, which is you know, led on and, and frankly, to where we are now and the opportunity then to raise institutional funds above our early stage venture fund, um, to continue to back those businesses that have the opportunity being truly global, hopefully industry defining
0: businesses. Well, let's, uh, let's show off a little bit about what Octopus has done in the last nine years or so. Um, I can't believe that both our organizations are about the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, Walk through a little bit sort of the, the number of companies, uh, maybe some of the highlights, maybe your first deal under the octopus flag. Uh, so
1: in terms of, we now have a portfolio of 53 businesses, uh, the, and, uh, and, uh, and that is actually a truly accurate figure, which so I normally say between 50 and 55. We have a whole series of deals in the pipeline, and that's both on the way in and, and on the, the way out now. Uh, but I actually got the numbers last night. Um, as you mentioned, we have about $850 million under, under management. And the unique thing about Octopus is with our early stage funds is we, we raise money from retail investors uh, and we raise money each year. Uh, the, we raised about $100 million sterling last year, so you call it $130 million. Uh, and we'll do about the same this year and we'll deploy that into early stage venture in Europe. That'll be both into our portfolio, those ones that are developing and developing well, uh, and also portion that into the new deals. So we have this model, this evergreen fund model that enables us to stay with those entrepreneurs. And once they grow beyond the remit of the early stage fund, we have what's the best description is an opportunities fund that sits above uh, which can then take on the mantle and back those businesses further. You were talking about one of the first investments, you know we were um, we were fortunate enough to invest into Zupa, it was one of the first investments uh, we made. Uh, Alex knew us from obviously the days at Screen Select uh, came back to us um, said look uh, this is what I'm doing here um, and so we invested uh, in him, which you know has you know grown and developed, and it has become the, the great success story of for the European venture um, over the last few years. And yeah, it's a good example of you know how how does a business move from uh, being a part of the ecosystem to you know being one of the major players and their brand awareness of where they've got to, it's, it's one of the, f- property ironically is one of the few businesses you can build a big business just in the UK and you know, that's exactly what they've done, but, uh, and it's also provided for us, you know, substantial funds back in terms of returns uh, to to our investors, because at the end of the day, returns matter, it's, it's all very well having increases in valuations in your portfolio, but at some point you need to make realizations as well and deliver cash back to investors. Uh, And that's, you know, what we've fortunately been able to do. Um, And with our listed funds, a whole series, we, we distribute our returns by way of a dividend. And what's exciting for us is that there's a whole chunk of money that as soon as it's just for you to come straight back into the fund
0: because they want to continue to back uh, the portfolio as it goes forward. That sounds like a very sustainable model. Um, One of the things that you've done over this time obviously has been working with companies at the board level and it's not always very visible to outside world what goes on in a board. Uh, maybe you could share not only what you think makes a good board member, but if, if you're if you can ambiguate it, uh, it would be great to hear what the most complicated or emotionally challenging board situation that you've dealt with and how you resolved it. Uh, good question. Um,
1: so let's try and let's try and break down. You know how how do we look at you know businesses and then the the, the role with regards board? And that, you know, I almost need to take you pre-investment, you know, for that. So whilst we're going through the process of, you know, meeting with the team, understanding the business, you know, the ambitions and, and, and the how they're going to, to deliver, we'll sit down and uh, agree with that team and say, actually, that's not necessarily the pure financial measures, but what are you going to achieve over the next 12 to 18 months? And try and boil that down into relatively few sort of milestone goals. So that could be opening up in a new territory. It could be making a certain hire. Um, it could be proving you know some of the KPI ratios. Those sorts of things. Um, and so that gives us a guide of where. Everybody around the table says, right, this is, this is what we want to achieve. And that kind of is what success looks like. So then you know, we make the investment. And um, we're all around the table, all working towards that end. So our whole question is, how can we help make the entrepreneur great? And what is it that we can do to help that process? And that may be where you have uh, brilliant entrepreneurs and if I point it uh, a business like Secret Escapes with Alex Saint and Tom Valentine who run um, the online ho- um, uh, holiday business. Um, they execute absolutely brilliantly. One of the most effective things we can do is make sure that we keep out of that way. And we make sure that everybody else keeps out that way. and be led by them as to what is it that we can help Mm. with but at the same point is we want to make sure that things are moving in the right direction it comes back down to where we started about you know are things progressing well so is the business on track and what is it that you know if it's not on track that you know collectively around the board we can do in order to um, get it back on track. Mm. Is there a fundamental problem? Um, do we need a ch- change of strategy? Um, those sort of points are things to discuss and it's as much about the formality of a board meeting as conversations outside. Uh, we talked about route to market beforehand. We we run a program at Octopus with a series of um, operating venture partners uh, individuals so we have somebody who helps with sales and route to market how can they best help the business now to start with the business they say look you're doing this and then draw upon Ian to go in and uh, help the business how can we help um, find uh, I don't know maybe a CMO you know who are the contacts uh, that we can provide it so it's very much a um, it's a, it, it comes back down to that relationship. And the stronger the relationship and the, the greater the trust between is going, how can we get the outcomes that we all want? From our perspective, if the business is on track, it's eating, exceeding the um, the sort of milestones that you know we set is, how can we invest further in you? Actually, how can you go quicker? Is there a bigger opportunity here? And is there the opportunity to you know, really, you, you, you create a bigger business quicker. And from an entrepreneur's perspective, yeah, I would always challenge them, if it's gonna make, if the decision you're making can uh, make the business bigger mm-hmm. and it can happen quicker, why haven't you already done it? Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't either of those, isn't, isn't it an easy decision? <laughs> um, so it's about, you know, that support around the table to say, right, here it is, and similarly say, look, you know, we're here. You're executing brilliantly. Let's go. Let's be clear and transparent about that. You know, we want to invest more money into you if you're delivering. Unfortunately, there are times when markets change and uh, it's harder than expected, and we should also be pretty clear and say, look, actually, I'm I'm sorry, guys. We're totally off track here. Um, I can't go back to my team to ask you know, us to invest further because the premise on which we're investing, we're just not delivering here. Um, So let's be clear, open, and transparent with that. And um, we had some great feedback uh, from one of our entrepreneurs. You know, you you firmly sit beside and behind you entrepreneurs. And um, if that can be, if all my CEOs say that, then that'd be fantastic.
0: But in some ways, rejecting a follow-on Round uh, on the basis that the company's not doing so well um, is in some ways kind of indisputable. Uh, the, in other words, the founder's not going to overcome your inhibition to, to follow on. What I'm keen to, to hear is perhaps how you've dealt with circumstances or less binary, you know, follow on versus not, uh, circumstances of strategic. Uh, importance to the company that where there was uh, a difference of opinion where there was no yet materialized gain or loss and or with other shareholders and and how you manage that and maybe if I can tack onto that question the style difference that you 've seen between American board participants versus sorry European board participants
1: yeah. so let, let, me, let me give an example, and I, I, you know, if, if it's okay with you, I'm not going to mention the name. of the yeah, company. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah,
0: no, no, um, No death threats today. Uh, so,
1: because this is this is a situation where things are turning around, really, for, for, for the positive. Um, uh, a very interesting business. Um, we tend to like in the in the business to business uh, area. We like the recurring revenue model, so we quite like those. Whether it be software as a service or where we can see that demonstrable recurring revenue, because actually you can look ahead and say, you know, actually I know where the business is going to be in X months' time. So we had a business of that nature where the founders, um, you know, frankly, were um, they had a desire to get the business to a point where it was profitable and and they had options and that. Is absolutely admirable. But actually, the opportunity was just getting bigger and bigger. And so, sort of six, nine months before that, we're sort of saying, look, come on, guys, you know, you can take some more money and you can accelerate this process. We can look at also expanding out in um, geographies. And that team weren't, you know, prepared to, to do that. Unfortunately, then they had some falling outs you know within them all of the big problems we have revolve around people it's the tech may not work or it, 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 it may work you can fix that you get the right person in and you can do it, it will take you some time it'll cost you some money to do it but if you've got a fundamental problem um with relationships amongst that team there needs to you know be action taken we are not majority investors, we are uh, minority investors. So you need to build consensus as to the way it can come forward. But there you had a series of messages coming in and at a certain point it was saying, right, we need to make a call here. What is, what is this business going to do? And in that particular instance, it ended up with... One of the, uh, the founders, you know, leaving the business because he no longer felt that actually he could continue um, to work you know, within that company. What that did was release the opportunity to bring in a different skill set, uh, which complemented the team. Uh, and they were then able to take it forward. Frustratingly, though, I would say the business lost 18 months. Now, 18 months is, you know, it doesn't sound like much when we're sat here talking about it. But in terms of opportunity, speed at which markets move, it's quite substantial. What I'm pleased to say is the business is, is doing really well now, is taken on um, additional funds and is moving forward. Um, but I would say all of the big problems are come around with, with regards to, mm. to
0: people. And do you find that the way that people, the way that um, American investors deal with people is more um, procedural or more expeditious and, and as a consequence that, you, know, you see that the impact that they might have is different than the European one or is it inverse? I'm just trying to be like uh, inflammatory on purpose yeah, here. Yeah,
1: I, 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 so big difference to start with is, and, and, and this is changing, and, and I, I, I hasten to add is mm. in terms of style around boards is you have problems with, with with individuals and people I mean some of the other problems we have and I'm sure other VCS you yeah. know it may say so, is you know is making sure all parties are aligned now that is really important to entrepreneurs as they come into it into taking investment for most people make sure you've got common alignment Um. Coming back to your question with regards to uh, European as opposed to um, US. I think US tends to be, and I think we would have a similar approach, more behind founder entrepreneur friendly um, uh, aspect. It is they who go out and deliver the business plan, deliver, you know, build a big business. It's not VCs don't do it. Um, The teams do it. Uh, I think The European mindset a lot of time is focused down onto maybe some of the harder metrics with regards to um, financials, um, governance, and I I, I don't mean to denigrate the importance of those. I think it's time in the company's life cycle. Mm -hmm. What is really, really important is that you have people in the entrepreneur team who are all over that but actually all of the businesses that we invest in from our venture funds you know they some of them may be break even when we make the investment straight afterwards they are going to be losing money so knowing how much money you've got and when yeah. and being transparent uh, about it um, because if you if as a team that team are running a brick wall they going to run out of cash you need to turn around and say how am I going to fill that hole as it going forward and the first place to look is around your table um, and from our perspective if you're running a headline at a brick wall and you're absolutely nailing it yeah we're right behind you but if it's not actually delivering and you're running in that brick wall um, we should be pretty clear with the entrepreneur um, you know with regards to what's going to happen so focus on i i think european entrepreneurs tend to focus down on, on on metrics i'm i think there are times when that sort of opportunity to think really big and can we really go for it uh, i think the us vcs are more aligned with that sort of thinking
0: um And maybe this is a good point to talk a little about the U.S. initiatives that you guys Mm. have just launched in New York. Maybe you can share a little bit about that for founders who want to either, because I don't know, do do you accept founders that are coming from the U.S. or is it mostly for European founders to have a a base in the U.S.? So uh, as you mentioned, we've um, recently
1: opened office in uh, New York, and that is all about how do we help our portfolio go to the U.S. and uh, address those markets. 50% 50% of our portfolio already have permanent operations in the US. So it's a relatively easy decision for us to, to, to go there. If we can then help them develop out their US operations, whether that's through introductions, and that comes back down to, you know, can we help grow their sales? Can we help mm. them build out their, 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 their teams with talent? Um, and similarly with our network, can we help them with access to further answer funding, clearly? But it's all about how can we help them do that, and also how can we help those businesses that aren't, haven't yet gone? You know, smooth the process. The reality of the situation is, despite a common language, it is a completely different language. Right. Um, the US thinks about things differently. Anybody who thinks it's the same, uh, they are, I'm afraid, in my view, entirely misguided. We run courses on how to talk American. I'll help you with that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Put the humility aside. uh, Everybody in the States does show and tell. So if you go there and say, um, with a certain British or European humility, self-deprecation, it's not going to go down well. Mm. Um, So put on that slightly more brash, slightly more punchy, um, this, is what we're, this is what we've done, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. You're going
0: to buy from me. Exactly. I will. I will. You've convinced me. Um, we always like to wrap up with three fun questions, and I think maybe you've already given me the answer to one of them. Uh, what's something you used to strongly believe that you now think you were fundamentally misguided about?
1: Um, what well, I misguided about it. certainly when I came into venture was the importance of the financial modeling for for looking at returns um, aspects um, when you're making those early investments yeah um, yes, you want to see can this if this business developed can it be a big business but frankly running normal distributions. Uh, I used to you know, use a, something called a First Chicago model, which plotted a series. Yeah, and, you, and you sort of go, yeah, actually, you can kind of create whatever number you like, just yeah. by the inputs you sort of put into it. It was all pretty fancy. Um, how relevant is it in this space? Put it this way, we don't use it today.
0: Yeah. And well, I mean, you, you brought up the issue of relationships and people several times. And I think that maybe it sounds like that's where you've concluded now that that's where the real value lies in that decision. If you had to teach someone one thing, what would you teach? Funny enough, it's an argument against what I just
1: said with regards to going to the U.S. I think that knowing what you don't know and that and being relatively humble about that. In, 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 not, not apologetic, but if I think of when I came out of this, I understood the financial side, I, I, but I knew what I didn't know. And that for me, being able to say that to my colleagues meant, okay, you're gonna plug the sales gap or the marketing gap, you're gonna plug the operations gap, you're gonna plug this gap. Um,
0: so I would say that. So last question. What book influenced you the most in your life?
1: I'm not until I uh, until you mention it, I'm not sure if I particularly made the connection. But one of the books I was made to made to I hasten to add study for um, exams was The Old Man and Sea. Hmm. Um, and actually, what are, what are the things I take out of that? I mean, is um, think big, go you know, have a big dream and uh, go and do that. When you find that big dream, tenacity. I think you could probably question about the execution. Um, but it's... For a book that I probably haven't gone back to for a long period of time, is that's kind of stuck with me, absolutely. Um, I think there's... Yeah, so thinking about those, the, those sort of aspects of... Uh, we want to be involved in global businesses that can be industry defining. Um, And
0: that's that's the sea that we should be fishing in. That's the sea we should be fishing in. Great, great ending to a great chat. Thanks for joining us, Alex. It's a pleasure.